What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. We do these in between our full episodes. And actually, if you've been following our show um, recently, we we might have missed a week or two of video full dope episodes with guests and all that because um, school is starting and we are two full-time educators here. I'm a classroom teacher. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And Jeff, I am I am exhausted, man. We just had two days, our first, our first two days of full in-person, full day school. And obviously I'm always tired after the first couple of days of a new school year because it's very intense, a lot of new faces, a lot of new names, all that. But this is a this is a new level of of tired. Like people talk about teacher tired. We need some new phrase for this kind of like return from the pandemic, which is an ongoing pandemic, and get back to a full in person classroom type of tired. Like this is um, Jeff. Mm. Everything hurts, man. Everything hurts, man. But but how are you doing, <laughs> man? How are you doing? It's it's like uh, it's like two a days, man. You gotta you gotta just push through the pain. It is, keep, keep man. Going. <laughs> man, I, I swear, man. I guess this is like you know NFL preseason just started or whatever, and I'm like, I feel like I started in the classroom without a preseason, and I feel like I kind of needed a preseason to get like conditioned to being back on my feet again, like all day, yeah. walking through the classroom and all that. Like, yeah, it's tough, man. Yeah. No, I mean the the physical change alone, I think for a lot of educators over the last you know eighteen months, going from a job where you, you know, you might be in one classroom, but you probably do a few miles a day around Seriously. around that one classroom, to sitting all day in front of a computer screen. Uh, yeah, it's it is uh, you know, I'm sure there are many people out there feeling uh, feeling something similar, uh, Manuel and. You know, me and my, uh, you know, at the district I work with, we are starting on Monday. So um, this is about to be the beginning. And um, I will be at a few elementary schools um, on Monday and, and throughout the week. Um, and man, it is, it, I feel this weird combination of both like excitement and kind of first day jitters and also a real sense of like, oh my God, I hope this is okay. Um, because especially in our elementary schools, there's a 0% vaccination rate among the children. Right. And uh, thankfully we're here in a state and a, and a, and a city where vaccination for staff is is now at least um, mandated. There's a very robust testing program in place, but um, you know, I am I am going in fingers and toes crossed for the well <laughs> the well being of our of our babies, man. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. And now that you know, it, folks who listen to our show, they know we we work in the Los Angeles area, and the politics around here are are different than they are in. in Plenty of other regions. So I am also very thankful that I work in a school system where, according to what our superintendent has has publicly said, something like ninety six percent of teachers are are vaccinated. The city that I work in, um, it's I think upper eighty percent now vaccinated, and another small percentage has at least the first shot. So overwhelmingly vaccinated. Masks have not been a controversy in in my school system, like. We've had two full days of instruction. I haven't, 
I haven't had one student say anything at all about like the mask and not wanting to wear it or any student trying to challenge it and not wear it right away. It's just kind of like just, it's just part of just how we do things now. And it's just not, you know, so, so I'm speaking from a place of like, okay, compared to teachers in other regions, I feel really, really good. We have all these protocols in place, the vaccinations, the masks, the the weekly testing, all that stuff. So I feel really, really good. But, but it still has been really unnerving to be back in crowds of people in the hallway during passing period, super crowded hallway during passing period, um, interacting with students in my class. Each of my classes is, is around 35, 36 students. And my classroom's rather small compared to other classrooms on our campus. So, so it is really unnerving. And I just couldn't imagine an educator wanting to be in that, in that mix and not be vaccinated or an educator in that mix where students don't have masks masks on, it just seems like, um, man, I'm just I'm just so thankful that's not my my experience in my context. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I feel you, man. I, I would agree. I would echo that. What I've seen across, uh, you know, across LA is, um, you know, certainly no no type of any, you know serious pushback against the mass mandates that, you know, were in place last, you know, last spring when a slice of students came back. I'm not aware of any type of pushback about that, you know, now. Um, you know, I think for me, though, it's it is, you know, it's just a question of like with the Delta variant, with all the kids back, with, uh, you know, lunch happening uh, regular lunch happening on campus, you know, can't yeah. eat lunch with a mask on, right? Right. Um, and, you know, PE happening and other things, um, you know, I think I think we are rolling the dice, uh, to be honest. Oh, and, we are for sure uh, rolling the dice. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, um, I understand the, um, the benefits, obviously of us returning to in-person school. And I want that. I also, uh, honestly, Manuel, I'm in a place where I'm like, I didn't think that in our profession, there would be this mass, like, well, we'll see what happens with, <laughs> you know, with, with a deadly pandemic. Um, I just, yeah. I, I don't know, maybe I was being naive. Um, you know, I thought, that, you know, you see things like what happened in, you know, the, the deadly school shootings and like you, you have the perception that school systems and officials governing school systems, you know, if they were in charge, there'd be like serious gun control, you know, um, and not just 17 year olds walking around with AR-15s and stuff across the country, um, you know, just because of the innate, I guess, uh, valuing of of life of children and then i look at this equation <laughs> and i'm like ah uh, you know I, so and i'm saying this manuel here where i think we have honestly uh, or at least you know lausd is doing everything that can reasonably be done with the resources that we have testing mask mandates cleaning protocols you know um uh it, vaccination sites, communicating with the community and families. I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff that could be a little better, but honestly, they have done a lot, yeah. a whole lot to create as safe conditions as they could create. 
and I still feel like mm, this is <laughs> this is rolling the dice, man. Yeah. Uh, especially for our youngest kids. And then you look at like Texas, Florida, Louisiana, and it's it's like, what kind of insanity has taken over? Uh, <laughs> you know the the governments, uh, state and local there, and the you know the leadership of school uh, in those places is just insane right now. It really is. And I just want to send just my heartfelt love and support to all them teachers out there that are dealing with this because I couldn't imagine. I saw a teacher, an uh, elementary teacher who teaches somewhere in uh, South Carolina. Um, I saw her post on Twitter. Ashton Fisher is her name. Uh, she posted, my school board had an emergency meeting and voted today to go virtual for one week. We've been in school for nine days, less than two weeks, over 630 student quarantines and 150 student positives. Um, she went on to say this is way worse than last year, even though they were face-to-face -face last year. Uh, last year, they did have some protocols in place. And this year, it's like, it's nothing. No masks, no protocols, no nothing. And the school year just started, and they're already shutting down after one week. And it's just, um, I couldn't imagine being a teacher in that context, man. Like, And again, like I've said before, I teach mm. high school. So it's a little different for me because I have high schoolers and many of my high schoolers. I don't know the percentage and you know, I haven't asked and I haven't brought it up in conversation. But based on last year's conversations, I'm pretty sure most of my high schoolers are vaccinated because they're very, very, very much wanting to get the vaccine last spring when I had them. So, so it's different for me. But a, an elementary teacher where you know like none of the kids in your room are vaccinated and when you're in a state like the states that you just mentioned, where they're also not wearing masks, and you're you're it's I, it's it's a recipe for disaster. This variant, obviously, we don't need <laughs> enough people have said it. This variant is something that is just above and beyond what we were dealing with last year, and it just seems like a recipe for disaster. And I just am so heartbroken at seeing the images of of folks already packing the hospitals. And I think the governor of, was it Mississippi or Missouri? Um, yesterday talking about like, there are no more rooms in the ICU for children. And if your child needs the ICU bed, your child will have to wait for another child to pass away. And it's just like heartbreaking to see that and to know that like, wow, we just, that all lives matter crowd really turned out to be a no lives matter crowd. And I know that's not surprising to anybody, but it's just like nobody's life matters now. It's like kids, teachers, staff, neighbors, like nobody matters because I want to be free. I don't want to wear this simple mask over my mouth to help protect my community. It's just so trash, so trash. So shout out to all the educators out there who are dealing with that and doing the best that they can for their youngsters. Of course, the young kids have, have nothing to do with any of this. These kids, even if even the kids that might complain about a mask, like they're probably complaining based on what they hear their, their caregivers uh, say. So it's like, you know, the kids, they're not to blame for this mess of a world that we are handing them. And uh, just shout out to everybody that's trying to do their best under really impossible circumstances in some cases to, to do what they can for our young people right now, man. This is a... Uh, this is wild, man. This is this is really, really, yeah. really wild. Yeah, I um, it, I completely agree, Manuel. And I think we have, I think we've reached the point now where the behavior of uh, of these governors, uh, in particular, um, you know, so most of the governors in the in the South and in the, in the you know former Confederate states. And, uh, and frankly, some other places in the country as well, but right. Uh, especially right now in those places, because they are the epicenter of, the, of this wave of the pandemic, 
um, have, I think their behavior has reached a point of criminal liability. And I know, I, yeah, I know that's a slippery slope, right? Um, that uh, having criminal liability for, po uh, for politicians when uh, they are carrying out public policy, you know, is something that could be easily weaponized and, and dangerous right. in any type of a democratic society. But here's, here's my point, man. There's nothing even mildly ambiguous about what the result is currently and is only going to get worse because of their actions, right? You, you take um, a deadly pandemic that is spreading more aggressively, in particular among younger people now, and having worse health outcomes. All of that is objective fact, nothing in dispute about that. We have current data to report on that right now, right? right. And then you take their policy decision to not only not take action on preventative measures, mask mandates, um, you know, uh, restrictions of numbers of people in public places, or you know, any any basic prudent public health policy to protect people, and then layer on top of that, bans against. Uh, districts and municipalities instituting mask mandates. And then you layer on top of that, uh, like in Florida, um, you know, Ron DeSantis threatening to withhold the salary of superintendents who defy his order. What we have here is a very clear line that's being drawn between policy that is willfully intended to cause harm and is actively currently causing harm, including serious prolonged illness and even death, right? Yep. And then also effort to prevent <laughs> others from stopping the harm. And I'm like, what, what, there couldn't be a clearer case in my mind for liability going straight to the governor's mansion in these states, right? Now there's plenty of other people along the way who, who are, could probably be liable also, but this, this feels to me like an instance where we actually need the ability to hold politicians criminally liable when they are, when they have reached this level of intentional efforts to cause, you know, malicious harm and death to the people of their state, which is a crazy sentence to say out loud, but also <laughs> in, in my view, at least, is what is happening right now. And, uh, and we have no mechanism or at least none that we're willing to use at this point to actually hold these people accountable. Yeah. Yeah, we are in a very not great place right now as a country, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be getting better anytime soon. And yeah, I don't know. And plus on top of all that, even trying to critically engage with discussions about these sorts of things are, you know, that's something that's also been at the forefront of a lot of attacks. And, and we are, uh, we are beginning a school year where more and more teachers, probably more than ever, not ever, but more in more teachers now than in the previous several decades feel that they do not have the, the safety and the, the liberty to help students critically engage in some of the conversations around anything from the pandemic to, of course, uh, structural racism and we are at a time where more than ever we need to help equip students with the skills and uh, abilities necessary to critically 
analyze the past, the present, and the future, and to ask the right questions. And we have teachers all over the nation now afraid to do any of that because while the world is burning, while the pandemic is raging, you also have parents on the lookout for these Marxist teachers who are indoctrinating their kids and this and that, whatever. I've seen a few posts this this week. I stayed off of social media most of this week because I just couldn't handle, I, I couldn't handle, it was too much, too much darkness and I was trying to start a school year um, in in a not dark place. But I've seen enough posts already of, of folks who are um, sharing screenshots of emails they've gotten from parents and things they've seen in Facebook groups about basically parents trying to catch their, their teachers saying anything close to like what you just said and, and anything related to to uh, racial justice or equity or, or any of that at the same time. So it's just a, such a such a wild time to be an educator. And I enter, I mean, we both entered this profession as the war in Iraq was raging, as the Bush administration was just tearing down whatever concepts of of uh, democratic process that, that we thought we had at the time. And now it's like, Yo, this right here, it, it feels just as bad, but it almost, I mean, it, to me, it feels worse. Not that it necessarily is worse because I know different populations were impacted by by what was going on during the Bush administration. But it's just, it's just being a teacher is, uh, we shouldn't have to deal with all that, man. We should be able to just focus on building up these, these students, these young people to usher in a, a, a greater future. Like we should be able just to focus on the children and building them up to be great humans. But instead we are dealing with these wars all over the place. And at the same time, also being told to quote unquote, keep politics out of the classroom, this, that, whatever, you know, even on my first day of school, I'm, we, I have several ethnic studies classes now. Ethnic studies is new to my district and uh, very excited about it. And our ethnic studies is for 11th graders and it is uh, approved for A through G credit as a US history course. So, and the first day just explaining to students a bit about what the course is, you know, I had a student raise their hand and, and very sincerely and very like from a place of, of like, you know, oh, okay, now I'm understanding. He was like, okay, so this is kind of like critical race theory. And man, I've been teaching, this is 18 years now, man, 18 years. And I honestly had never had a student even utter the words critical race theory in class because it, we hadn't specifically learned that legal framework or, or used it in in a, in a intentional sense in that kind of way. And I'm just like, man, we, they, they did it, man. They did it. Like they made the CRT thing so big and so wild that even our kids are like hearing all about it. And even our kids are entering the classroom, our students, I should say, are entering the classroom with that that awareness of this, this culture war that's going on amidst the pandemic, amidst cries of, of election fraud and all that. And it's just, what a time, man, what a time. But yet teachers continue to show up and do the good work every single day. And Somebody might be listening who hasn't started the school year yet. Jeff, I do want to share a little bit about my first day of school because it uh, I've had a lot of first days of school and it's always hard to sleep the night before and it's always all the anxiety and nerves and all that stuff. Yeah, man. I you was, was going to say, I'm still sitting over here with the, the butterflies, the jitters are, uh, man. <laughs> are mounting. So uh, tell, tell me about it. Yeah, you know, and normally, typically... The, the weeks before the first day of school, I have those teacher nightmares. You know, them teacher nightmares where it's like, it's the first day of school and you didn't have anything prepared and the kids are just sitting there and you got nothing for them or like, no one's <laughs> listening to you. Like you're saying all kinds, but no one's listening. It's, you know, all the like, 
whatever. But I didn't have any of those this year. I was actually not really thinking too too much about the first day until it hit, and just the um, the the I was I'm like, how am I gonna be able to be on my feet and move around the classroom? I move around the classroom a lot. Like I'm 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 around I'm all around the classroom, and you know with the mask on, how am I gonna project through a mask? Last year we had hybrid learning, but I was still you know, teaching through a Zoom. So I only had to project so far as my microphone, but now I got to project through the room, all that stuff. And when the first day started and, and students were arriving on our campus, I there's a little bridge. I'm on the second floor of our building and there's a little bridge from the second floor over to the auditorium. And it, it overlooks the, the the street in front of our school where, where parents and um, students show up from. And I walked out to the bridge because I didn't have a first period class. I'm off during the first period. And I saw... a uh, a young kid, I don't know what grade they were in. I kind of presumed maybe they were a freshman. They looked um, they looked like a middle schooler, so I, I guess that means they're a freshman, I don't know. And they had a parent that was doing a little photo shoot with them, like, you know, having the, the student like stand by the sign that says the name of our school. And and from that bridge, looking down at the scene of this, this parent taking photos of their, their kid, and I assumed, you know, post to Facebook, whatever, first day of school or first day of high school. And I just saw so much love in that interaction. I just saw so much mm. love there. Like the parent just, and it, it might not have been the kid's parent. I, I shouldn't assume that it was a parent, but the the adults in this case was just so happy and so proud and trying to get the perfect picture of their their young one going off to school after after a year and a half of distance learning and a year and a half of pandemic and continuing pandemic. And honestly, man, it just brought a tear to my eye. And I'm not somebody who gets like emotional like that uh, very often. It's it's my my wife complains because I I you know I didn't get teary eyed during our waiting. Like I'm not a teary eyed type of person. But seeing that, I was just like you know d- despite the the videos of of mobs at the school boards. Uh, crying foul about mass mandates or crying foul about critical race theory, and despite all that's happening, like at the end of the day, just the joy and the love of seeing a young person take this major life step of starting a new school year, starting starting high school and, and growing on up. like That love was just like, it transcended all the anxiety I had. It transcended all the worries I had about how safe is it and this, that, whatever. And that was just the, by far the highlight of my day. The rest of the day was fine. Uh, greeting each class, it was my, you know, my heart was full seeing the faces of my students and, and many of them I had last year through the computer. So for a lot of them, this, this was the first time I actually visually saw them. And it, it was just fantastic. And students seemed to be really happy to be back. But yeah, just that that reminder that it's about so much more than than all the wars that we see being fought online and in school boards and city council meetings and all that. That was just, uh, that was wonderful. And the rest of the day and the rest of the, for the first two days went, went really well. And I'm excited to be back. I am worried that it will be interrupted. I am worried that like, you know, a couple positive cases and this class might have to quarantine, a couple more cla- uh, positive cases and now a whole chunk of the school is quarantining. And I'm, I'm worried about whether or not this is sustainable. But right now I'm just in love with being back in person with the <laughs> students and all that. So, yeah. 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 No, I, I can hear it in your voice, man. I, uh, I you know, I think it's, I think that scene you described is is a beautiful thing. Right. And it is it captures very nicely. I think the 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 kind of place that school occupies in society. We when we talk about school, we often have this very um, accountability centric 
uh, discourse, right? Um, oh, what are the you know test scores or the graduation rates or whatever? And you know, I'm here for that conversation. Let's let's have it, right? Um, you know, school is a public good, and we you know should be getting good results for the communities we serve. And I think what you were just describing actually captures like in people's lived experience, what is the value of school, right? It's not actually hardly at all <laughs> about the stuff, the accountability stuff we often talk about, right? What's really valuable about it is like you have friends there, um, you have things you think are fun that you, you know clubs and 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 classes that you really enjoy and extracurricular activities and you know you tried out being in the play one year and you you know yeah. you were on you made the JV volleyball team this year and you know um and recess you know for the little ones right and art class and there's there's all this stuff that is the actual value of school. That's about like growth and development and connection and um, and things that we're frankly not that good at at coming up with like easily communicable quantitative metrics to define what success looks like. But as soon as school reopens, what happens? It's not everybody being like, hey, when's the first test, right? <laughs> what, right. what happens is, you know, people wanna stand in front of the, the big Mustang outside the school or whatever yep. and take their picture just like their aunt did and just like their cousins did and just, you know, continue the family tradition or whatever, right? And people wanna come say hi to Dr. Rustin because they, they loved your class last year, but they haven't even been able to meet you yet. Or, you know, they see their friends, you know, and now we have kids, you know, your, your um, 10th graders have never been to the school of any, you know, serious way before many of them, even your 11th graders, you know, yeah. the last, their, their ninth grade year got sort of half interrupted, right? And they're, they're halfway done with high school and they're, you yeah. know, and have all this catching up to do with people they haven't seen in a while. And so anyways, all that to say, I think it just... Um, is such an important reminder about like in as much as a lot of the technical work of school, right? We have curriculum to teach. We have, you know, results we want to achieve. That stuff is of course critically important. And what we're getting back now is all the stuff we actually lost last year, which is, I would argue the stuff that matters most about school, even though we don't have good systems to like assess how that stuff is doing. It's the friendships, it's the connection, it's the, the discovering your interests, it's the fun, um, it's the creativity, right? Um, it's, it's all of that stuff. And I'm so, so excited about the prospect of en masse us getting, getting back a huge uh, piece of, of what's valuable about school this fall, even though at the same time, I'm nervous as hell, man, about this mass social experiment we are playing with the lives of our children. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said, for sure. And uh, in, in the midst of all that, we are still trying to, to fight for some, some racial justice and racial equity, too, uh, behind this pandemic. And I just want to shout out a scholar whose dissertation presentation or defense I had the pleasure of, of being part of yesterday. And he's an original, one of the original fans of our show from like, from way back. And that is now 
doctor, Ricardo Robles. And Dr. Ricardo Robles, his his dissertation was really fascinating because, you know, we have all this talk about doing doing the work in schools and um, we have various various schools claiming to to really care about equity and inclusion in these things. And we have plenty of books out there, plenty of book clubs out there about the importance of bringing anti-racist practices into your school and the importance of dismantling white supremacy culture in our school system. There's a lot of talk out there. And at the end of the day, there are not enough schools who are really doing that work. So for for his study, he was able to, to, to find 10 different school leaders, mostly administrators, uh, mostly principals and assistant principals who have engaged in that work at their school site and sort of uh, dive deep into their experiences and, and what they've learned along the way and try to develop some some guiding principles around that. And one thing that I really appreciated about Dr. Robles' work is the fact that in the midst of everything that's going on, there are some really dope, really dope school leaders who are trying hard to push against the system and to usher in uh, better practices for our for our, our educators so that they could better serve our young people, especially our most marginalized populations. And to see a collection of leaders deeply reflect about their process and about the pushback and about how they navigated that, I think is very, 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 very valuable. So I hope one day he could um, share some of that on our show perhaps or, or something so that we could learn from that because I think we're way past the discussions about the importance of doing the work and we're knee deep in mm. discussions about like practically what does it really look like and how do we really make it sustain? Because this is not this is not one of those things where you could just hire an outside consultant and knock it out in like two workshops and now your school is good and it's solved and move forward. This is this is deeper than that. So shout out to Dr. Robles for digging deeper and putting that together and for also <laughs> supporting the show from from way back. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do- Dr. Robles has a nice ring to it though. It does, it? for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to the shout out pile here, uh, Manuel. Um, and this past week, I, uh, so I work remotely, right? Um, and have been for the bulk of the pandemic, um, you know, occasionally going to school sites, but um, mostly my work is remotely now. And, um, I go into the office periodically, uh, frankly, to like pick up mail sometimes and and water my plants to keep them alive and uh, and give give me an excuse to get out of the house because otherwise I feel like I'm constantly in the house. But anyways, uh, this week when I went into the office, uh, happened to run into a colleague of mine, uh, Marcus, Marcus D, uh, who uh was in the office on his last day with the organization. He got uh, you know, a cool, cool new job, nice promotion for him, moving on to another organization. So congrats to Marcus. And um, you know, it's nice to be able to just say a, a goodbye in person. And also, um, he's been a big supporter of the show. Um, now, Marcus is uh, works in our organization, but it actually isn't like an educator by trade. He works in um, development and fundraising, right? Um, but just loves the show and uh, has been sharing the show with um, with all kinds of folks. And so um, wanted to uh, give Marcus a, uh, a wonderful shout out today and wish him good luck on his new job and also say 
you know, thanks a lot for um, being a supporter of all the above and sharing it with, um, you know, with your community because that's what uh, what makes the show special and makes it fun and worth doing is um, connecting with people and um, expanding the the folks who can be a part of this this interesting conversation about this thing we call school um, and how how we bring to life our you know our values around a, a fair and just society. So um, shout out to Marcus and um, all of you who might be listening uh, because of Marcus. Uh, you know. Welcome to the All the Above family. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And also, shout out to all y'all who have been posting uh, photos of yourself in our Teach Truth gear. Uh, we've Jeff, we've gotten quite a few people posting uh, photos on themselves, rocking the, uh, the shirts and the sweaters that read, Teach the Truth, the Whole Truth, and Nothing But the Truth. And that's very, very helpful for... For us, because I mean, for one, the message is is critically important, especially right now. Um, but also, you know, this shows a two person operation, and we don't have sponsors or anything like that. So every little bit, every little contribution goes a long way towards helping us with our hosting fees and keeping the show going and all that the equipment and all that good stuff. So shout out to all of y'all who repping AOTA show gear. Um, if you are interested in that, we'll throw a link underneath this episode so you could. Go right to the AOTA show shop and support and all that dope stuff, all that good stuff right there. And Jeff, man, so so our last full episode was was a few weeks ago. Um, our our next one will be probably in like two weeks. You know, folks, give us a little bit of a a little bit of grace, if you will, because we are adjusting to uh, starting the school year. But it's gonna be dope. It's gonna be dope. We'll hit you again next week with another passing period. And we would love to hear how your start of the school year is going. For those of y'all who are uh, headed back to the classroom this week or already are in the classroom, let us know how that's going, man. Drop us drop us a message or something online because we are in this together. And if you are beginning school this week, shout out to you. You have our, our full support and love and appreciation for a hopefully wonderful, restorative, humanizing school year for our young people. We are going to, we are, we're going to stick together and it's going to be all right one way or another. We're going to do our best for our young people. So shout out to all of y'all out there in the AOTA show family. All right. But that's about it for now, Jeff. Am I, am I forgetting anything? Oh man, I think you got it all correct right there. And um, I will just I will just echo what you said, Manuel. Everybody going back to school this week. Um, good luck. I'll see you out there in the field. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, shaking hands and kissing babies or, or not, not shaking Jeff. hands and protocols, not kissing man. Protocols. babies. <laughs> uh, three three inches of social distancing or whatever yeah, we actually whatever comes got out to. Uh, in, in, in real life right now. But. Um, in all seriousness, uh, you know, I, I'm excited for the start of school you hear from my East Coast and upper Midwest folks who uh, still got a few weeks until after Labor Day. We see you, too. We know it's coming for you, but don't don't uh, let us frustrate you. You enjoy your last for few real. weeks of well-earned summer because y'all were teaching well into June, uh, unlike these people in the hot climate parts of the country. Yeah. So. Um, you know, uh, well, you you could live vicariously uh, <laughs> through us for the next few weeks here, or you could just, you know, enjoy the rest of your vacation. For sure, for sure. All right, folks, that about does it for this week's passing period. We'll catch y'all next week. But now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.